Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com, movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley and I'm super excited for this week's show because we are talking Avatar with my best friend, Doug. Hey, uh, hey man. Hey everybody. Hey Patrick. Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show, Doug. <laughs> Lest you guys think this is a rerun of a 10-year-old show, this is a brand new episode. It's 2020. We're currently living through a pandemic. We are in what has to be the darkest timeline. This is not mm. a rerun of our first show, but we thought what mm. better way to celebrate 10 years of F This Movie, the day this podcast comes out, will be the 10th anniversary to the day of our first podcast, which was on Avatar. And we thought what better way to celebrate uh, 10 years of F This Movie than by talking about Avatar again. I think that in honor of the 10-year anniversary of the show and of our very first show, of the podcast and our very first show of Avatar, we should do most of the show of uh, have it be plot summary of Avatar, <laughs> um, that we should not actually go into details about <laughs> characterizations and themes, that we should just stick to, okay, so Jake Sully is a Marine, he's in a wheelchair. He's a real brother, jarhead. Right, of Clan Jarhead. <laughs> um. Did you, by any chance, re-listen to our first podcast in preparation for I, this episode? I did, and not I did fully not. or completely. I put it on this. I, I was working from home today because it's uh, quarantine. It's the stay-at-home, safer-at-home, social distancing world in which we live in. And I put on the show as I was doing some work. And uh, so I was kind of jumping around and would have to pause it and kind of spaced out when I was doing some other things or my kids would bug me or something. So <laughs> I listened to most of it and... A lot of burping, a lot of uh, <laughs> a much a much more foul show, lots of swearing. I think we knew at that point too. It's kind of funny because I, I know at that point that we knew no one's listening to this. Right, no one knows what right. this movie dot blogs dot the blogspot dot com <laughs> is. But I don't think we knew then that the show would get more popular and we'd have more listeners and those listeners would go back to that show. Cause at one point I make a, a, a like a series of very unfunny, really socially awkward transgender jokes, which is terrible. Uh. I'm not a terrible person, but I like, I'm making these jokes and I'm like, Oh dear, can we somehow edit this from 10 years ago? And they weren't mean spirited. Maybe they were, I don't even know. But my point is I'm not a terrible person. If you go back and listen to those shows, that show in particular, um, it was more Patrick was goading me on. He was saying, do it, do it, Doug. He That's was what I passing do. me notes across the yeah. It wasn't this Skype thing that we're doing now because of where I live and because of the social distancing. It was because Patrick was making me be a terrible person. Yeah, back in those days, we used to record the podcast together. Uh, <laughs> no microphones, nothing. Just We just pressed record on the MacBook and uh, – mm, yeah, think about everything that's changed in in the span of this podcast. You got married, you had three kids, mm. you moved mm. to California, you've had uh, several, I guess not career changes, but job changes. As have I. Yeah, yeah. No, it's been crazy. I mean, social because you were in 2010. You had a son. and yeah. you were married. I should have reversed that. You were married and had a son. It doesn't Correct. really matter, but it, you know, I'm just trying to be accurate for the record. Um, but yeah, myself, I got married in 2010. We pride ourselves the- on, on accuracy. So please, <laughs> please always be accurate. Dignity, always dignity. <laughs> um, yes, I got married in July of 2010 and then had three kids moved to California in 2014. 
which is weird to think that I've been here longer for the show's length. Yeah. The, 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 yeah, the, the length of the podcast that I've been here six years over 10 and, uh, yeah. And have had several different jobs just by virtue of moving and needing different jobs. So it is crazy. Um, but I am glad to still be part of the show, even in my reduced capacity. I'm uh, grateful and thankful that you reach out and you include me. That is very nice. You're a nice person with a great heart and a great face. <laughs> um, yeah, I was I was too scared to go back and listen to that first episode. I'll, what I remember is a lot of plot summary. I remember trying yes. to describe the plot to Avatar, which turns out to be way harder than you would think. For a we make a that, lot of jokes about that, actually. Yeah. For a movie that seems like pretty basic on its face, I was rewatching it today and my seven-year-old daughter asked a question about like, how do, how does that guy turn into the blue guy? And I had to suddenly, exp- I'm like likening it to a car. I'm like, well, he's sort of piloting a vehicle, except the vehicle is a Navi. Like, you can't explain what's happening in Avatar to a seven-year-old. It makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense, though, to an adult either. And that's the, <laughs> what I think is interesting about the movie. I mean, yes, it makes sense because you're suspending disbelief. You're just sort of accepting that, like, we built this coffin, this tanning bed that you're going to lay into and we're going to hook into your beautiful brain and there will be a portal of lights, like a special effect right. basically explains the connection, but there's really no, and I'm, 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 I'm equal parts grateful that there's no mumbo jumbo science that tries to over explain it. But I'm also sort of like, this is a pretty big leap. Um, thankfully the movie does a good job in just sort of continuing like running full steam ahead, literally and metaphorically <laughs> with that characterization so that you don't really think too much about like how they're getting to where they're at, how they're getting into these bodies only until they're disconnected later, I think two or three times by the, the villainous humans mm-hmm. um, that that's sort of like the only time that comes to, to comes up where it's sort of like they're in these cocoons and, and connected to these Navi um, speaking of scientific mumbo jumbo, uh, how is Star Trek Voyager going? Oh my gosh. This quarantine has been defined <laughs> by Star Trek Voyager. You know, in, in, I know we're going to, you're going to ask me, what have I seen lately? So yeah, in that's next. doing a little show research. I went into, uh, if you go on net, if you log into Netflix from a computer, you can look at your, your, uh, watch history, your viewing history. And I was just scanning to see what I've been watching and it is a wall-to-wall Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> I'm almost done with season three. I know there's a lot of people out there that watch a lot more than me, so I'm not. It's not a pissing contest. Relax, you win. But my point is, for me, it is like when I'm I'm doing work during the day, I'm spending time with my kids, going on walks, trying to you know help around the house. And by the time nine o'clock comes around, it's like it's Voyager time, <laughs> and that's when it's Paris, like Warp oh. Nine, Engage. You know, it's it's, it's Harry yeah. Kim o'clock. Right. It's half past Baylana. <laughs> we could keep going. We should keep going. So it's it's crazy because actually if you wanna um this is a, a good segue, if you wanna ask me what I've if you wanna I'll I'll let you do the honors. Yeah, it's been ten years. I mean I think I know how to run the show. <laughs> uh hey Doug, have you seen anything good lately? Thank you, Patrick. You know, it's let me pin this for one second. The uh <laughs> What's interesting is that the the very first show, and I think we've explained this on different podcasts before in the past, where you and I had done a different podcast 
as sort of a beta test for F this movie. Yes. Um, it was a podcast between myself, you and our friend Jason, where we just talked. And on those shows, I was much more obnoxious, much more vocal, much more talking over everyone. I'm kind of like that in real life. But for this show, because I'm not a, a cinephile like you are. Um, <laughs> I, would, I would never call myself that. I'm not, I'm not a movie guy. <laughs> now that I call I myself. I was actually, I was, I, I was talking to Shadia the other night and I said, I used to see everything. I used to see, and again, obviously before marriage, before kids, I used to theater hop, see three things four things in a row in the theater every day or not every day, but every weekend and just gobble stuff up. And of course, when uh, DVDs first came out in the late nineties, early two thousands, I would literally spend my entire paycheck at Best Buy buying everything. on Multiple DVD. And copies of crouching tiger, hidden dragon, multiple. Um, and how obviously life it's what's for dinner. It gets in the way of certain things and I'm still watching a lot of movies, but my, and I still have passion for it, but just my, I can't, I don't have the same quantity that um, you or JB or Adam Risky have. I just can't. And I, I, that's kind of my personal goal for myself. I know on the Zoom uh, uh, podcast, the Zoom video call that we all did the other day, you had asked what our goals were for, you know, the 10th anniversary, the, the, the next step for F this movie. And I didn't have a chance to say anything because it's, there was a lot of crosstalk and I didn't want to say anything. Well, and then we that, all, we all cheers to the next step. Right. At our favorite hot dog place. Is it, was it a hot dog place? It was, yeah. yeah it was, it was a like hot a hot dog. dog. What was it? Was it called Wiener Circle? No. <laughs> what was it called? No, I forget, but I've been to that place. It's in Monrovia, California, about 10 miles away from me. I made a, I was literally got his dog. It was. It was where the F is dug. I was on Myrtle Street and Monrovia, and that's where that little cafe was in American Pie. We've done American Pie. So it wasn't American... in East Great Falls, Michigan? Not, unfortunately. How many American Pie podcasts have we done? Uh, just those two? Just two, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm totally – oh, I was going to say my point is with sort of the next step for me is like I want to get back into it. I want to get – I want to start watching more. I want to write if I can, if if possible. I want to contribute more to the site because at one point I was watching literally everything and now I am not and that sucks. My point – my other point was going through my Netflix queue. It was all Voyager until the other movies that I saw. Where was the pin? Why did I stop this? Why did I – what the hell am I talking about? Uh, Voyager uh... – now. I'll it, just say, let me just... It I, started I with, like, idea. you used to be more obnoxious and talking over people. That might have been my whole point, which um, <laughs> is an obnoxious point to make. But just simply in listening to the Avatar podcast, I am easily 60% of the show, which makes zero sense because I have nothing of value to say. It is just purely to hear my own voice or to make the occasionally funny but most frequently obnoxious and transphobic comments oh man so anyway i what have i seen lately i saw star trek nemesis because i read i was reading on some film blog or some subreddit about star trek about how nemesis deserves another look that it's actually one of the better next generation movies out there and i watched it and i don't agree with that i don't know if you've seen nemesis lately or at all. I've seen I just want to quickly say for the people that were getting upset about us not knowing the name of the hot dog place in American Pie, chiefly Adam Risky. Um it's called Dog Ears. Dog Ears? Dog Ears. Years. Dog Ears. Yeah, it's what dogs here with. They're dog ears. <laughs> it's called Dog Ears. 
Is it about like reading a book and not having a bookmark and then folding the pages? <laughs> Are they dog earing their future? Um, I've seen Nemesis once. I think when it first came out on DVD, I God, I think I bought it blind and watched it. And in my memory, it's the worst of the Star Trek movies. Yeah, it's I. It did not. Uh, I did not have a, an epiphany in watching it um, a third or fourth time. I'm sure for me because I think I saw it in the theater and have since watched it a couple times. But watched it more recently, you know, in the last month or so. And because I was just on the Star Trek jag, I'm just I'm I'm into Star Trek. If you don't, if you guys didn't figure that out yet, <laughs> and uh, it's not that great. But I was, I I need to go back and reread that blog as to why people think it's sort of this like undiscovered gem, which maybe is an interesting conversation. I do feel like a lot of movies, especially sort of cult movies, or you know, there's a built-in fan base for Star Trek and a lot of science fiction, a lot of fantasy that there's always going to be a fan base, a rabid fan base for even sort of the worst, what we perceive or what is generally accepted as sort of like the worst of the worst offerings. And I find that very interesting that there's always going to be someone out there that like, this is my favorite. The thing that you think is the worst is actually my favorite. I'm like, I find that very interesting. Um, I also watched Star Trek Generations, which actually did, I did have a a realization. I'm, I used to like it, but also think it was very kind of clunky and it still is. I think there's still a lot of clunky moments, but um, it was better than I remembered it being. And what I find interesting in going back to Voyager is that that actor who plays Tuvok, I don't know his name. He's a African-American gentleman. He is in so much Star Trek. He's in Generations, but not as Tuvok, as like a, a, a bridge officer and some other, maybe the Enterprise that was, you know, I don't even know. But it was it was distracting because I'm Again, quarantine deep in Voyager. <laughs> he shows up, uh, Tim Russ is his name, and he shows up as a Klingon, I feel like, more than once on Deep Space Nine. That's crazy. I mean, good for him. He's obviously part of this, like, insane legacy of, you know, and, and excellent TV shows and movies. And, I mean, to, to have that career, good for him. But I'm also like, you're, you're one thing. Don't be two things. <laughs> Did you watch Nemesis specifically for the Janeway cameo? No, wait a minute. She has. A, I forgot that she had a cameo. <laughs> right? Doesn't she? Doesn't he talk to her like over the telescreen at some point, or is that in a different movie? Is it's, that in? it's honestly not ringing a bell? But it's I, okay. I, so maybe it's not Nemesis. I, maybe it's like Insurrection or something. It, you know. But here's the thing. I, I, you, you're probably right. I, you're kind of revealing the way in which I watched Nemesis was very half-assed because <laughs> I knew it was not. I'm like, I should watch this and instantly start going on my phone and like <laughs> maybe fell asleep. <laughs> um, the last thing I'll mention is what I've seen lately. This is such a good 10 year anniversary show uh, is I watched, and this isn't quite um, I'll, I'll include it. I'll, I'll allow it. That's right. I'm making up the rules for myself before I even say what I've watched. Is uh, I watched that new Jerry Seinfeld stand-up, which isn't technically a movie, but there's a reason I wanted to bring it up. It's the the new stand-up that's on Netflix called Twenty Three Hours to Kill. Um, Jerry Seinfeld, obviously, incredibly talented comic. The special is fine. I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't um, yet. No, it's fine. There's a lot of jokes that are you know don't resonate with me, and um, that's fine. And there's some that do, and there's some moments that I laugh. But he has a great bit, and I won't ruin it. But it's um. You'll, you'll know where I'm going with this in two seconds. It's this thing about how the world in which we live in right now, there's such polarization with a lot of things, but there's also, 
he, he basically drills it down to like how there's an, a group of people out there that say everything sucks, everything's the worst, and that the other opinion is that it's great, it's the best, and that there is no in-between. And he actually does a really good job of in this this joke setup thing of explaining that these things actually aren't too far apart. They're actually very, very close together, that there's only a very thin line that divides the two. Um, and the example he uses is like, oh, have you seen that new movie? It's it's excellent. And the person he's talking to says, what? I saw that. It sucked. He's like, no, it's the best. No, it sucked. Well, I like the beginning, but then it starts to suck. He's like, well, I hated the beginning, but then the end was great. And how we, we speak in platitudes, everything's hyperbole. And I feel like that is totally accurate with with anything media related. I mean, how many times does something come out where people rave about it only to be torn down by other critics or fans or whatever? And what is even more common is that when people post these diatribes or whatever on their websites or reviews, that all they do is all the, all it does is serve to tear something down. And for whatever reason, those get the clicks, those get the the shares, those get the you know the conversation, that the fifty comments. And I know it's done on purpose. It's a calculated decision by the author, the writer, whomever, to tear something down because they. W- either A, want a genuine dialogue, which is bullshit, or B, they just want clicks because they know they're going to stir the pot and kind of wake up the sleeping people that aren't paying attention to come and defend something so they can have a hyperbolic argument online. And my point is, what I love about this movie, after 10 years, is that we have stayed true to our roots, I think. Um, I know we go on and on on a lot of different shows about how great our fan base is and how it's not just, they're not just listeners, they're participants, there's a, a dialogue, there's a back and forth, there's a social connection with everyone. And you're, the joke that Patrick Bromley, his sort of standard review of something is, it's fine, is actually, I think, should be a badge of honor. Because I feel <laughs> like, in, again, in this, in this world of everything is either the best, it's the funniest, it's the greatest movie you've ever seen, or it's the worst, it's terrible, don't go see it, don't waste your money, that so much, I mean, that's literally 2% on either end of the spectrum. So much of the movie world out there, I think, is, it's fine. It's it's totally, totally fine. And there's merit to it, and I think we always try to find the good in things, and um, obviously point out the bad things, but not in a way that's going to tear something down, because obviously, mo- like, every movie you've seen, I think you commented on this recently, or wrote something about this recently, like, everything you see, even if you hate it, someone dedicated their entire life or at least a big portion of it to creating that so who are we to 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 be so judgy um i have something that i need to say in response to that but my kids want to say hi because it's the 10th anniversary and they're supposed to be in bed but instead they came downstairs and said they want to say hi so say hi rosie hi (laughs) hi everybody hi charlie Charlie, what is your current favorite movie? Um, I don't know. Um, probably. <laughs> hmm. Oh yeah, uh, UHF. UHF, good answer. Very good answer, Rosie. What is your current favorite movie? Uh, probably Zombies Two. Zombies Two, from uh, the Disney Channel. Or Pirates. Doug, do your kids watch the Zombies movies? No. You're missing out. Uh, pirates, yeah, yeah that's a good pirates one. Which or... pirates? One, two, or three? All. All. All right. Very cool. <laughs> Mostly All right. One. What do you want to say to the listeners of F This Movie? It's been 10 years. What do you want to say? Thank you very much for being on this happy channel. 
<laughs> Charlie, what do you want to say to the listeners about this movie? I had no idea what to say. <laughs> Dabs on haters. All right. <laughs> well said. Anything else? Thanks for listening to FS Movie. Oh, very nice. Very nice. <laughs> He's got his line down. All right. Thank you, guys. Good night. Give me a kiss. Good night. Ah, good night. Good night, this Movie. We will be gone. <laughs> Rosie's last podcast appearance as a seven-year-old. That's right. This is the wow. last time I will be on a podcast as being seven because tomorrow's my birthday. Yes, it is. Happy cheers. Happy cheers. All right. Okay, good bye. night, guys. Love you. Love that you. reminds me of... Uh, Happy 10th anniversary. Thanks, Charlie. <laughs> Go ahead. We did a video uh, of... We did a video series when I lived in Chicago and uh, there's, I think we did 30 of them, maybe. I mean, there's, there's actually For more real? than I Holy remember. God. I think so. I, there's more than you think there are. Um, maybe not 30, but there's, there's definitely more than 20. Anyway, one of the first ones we did was um, it had a cameo from Charlie. Oh, Gaffey I love, I love planes. Theater. Yes. Cause he had just seen planes, Disney's planes. I mean, I don't even know. It wasn't Pixar, right? It was a kind of a, we did 26, same... 26 episodes. 26. It was the same. Uh, Planes was the same universe as Cars, but it wasn't the same studio or kind of, right? It was like a different creative team, whatever. Correct. Anyway, so Charlie, I just forget how young he was um, doing his review of Planes, and he loved Planes, obviously. And that reminded me of the end of every episode, the tag that he has. And how old was he when he recorded that? Um, I don't know. Probably three. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, that's almost 10 years ago, also. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's messed up. Um, so what was I going to say about – oh, I need to, I feel like, do a better job. And I think I've gotten away a little bit from the it's fine uh, approach to reviewing because, you know, it is a little bit um, – Dismissive? Dismissive, yeah. And I want to be better about like I, – I tend to try to find the good and stuff, but I want to be better about like trying to highlight something – that is good if there's a movie that maybe I'm not crazy about, which we'll get to. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, unfortunately, that's one of the things I think that has changed in the 10 years that we've been doing this podcast is that there are more podcasts, more sites, more YouTube reviewers. A lot of this stuff has kind of sprung up in the 10 years that we've been doing it. And a lot of it has gone away, too. You know, we've outlived a lot of outlets oh, yeah. because people don't realize how hard it is to turn stuff out every week and every day. Um, and unfortunately, you know, the discourse as you were pointing out has just become more and more polarized where the reactions can only be one extreme or the other. And I am proud of the fact that I wouldn't say we exist somewhere in the middle, but like, I think we're pretty fair uh, and I, I'm proud of being fair. You know, we tend to skew positive because everybody writes about whatever they want to write about. And people generally like to write about the things that they like. There's not a lot of joy, uh, in writing about something that you hate, that you can't stand. The only time I write negative articles are when I blind review something. Uh, and it turns out I really don't like it. And I've only written a handful of those in the 10 years we've been around, but, um, uh, we tend to skew positive, but I think if nothing else, we, we are fair. You know, that is so true in terms of writing something. We don't typically write, and I don't write as much as I used to, but I remember we were always in the early days of the site. We we're always trying to think of like themed columns. Um, 
uh, where each week would be the same column, but a different movie kind of under that same umbrella of whatever. And one of the ideas we had was um, I'll watch anything. Yes. And we would like challenge each other. Like I dare you to watch garbage pale kids movie or <laughs> whatever. And we'd write about it. And, and um, oftentimes and then, and then Mackenzie a- Aston would find it and comment <laughs> on it. But it was a slog too. It was kind of like, how do I not just sound like some cranky old Andy Rooney type person that just hates everything? Cause I know I was, I was tasked by you challenged, I would say to, to write or to watch and review bird Demic. Remember that terrible B movie about the birds. Well, that was stupid. And I remember, but no, I mean, it was in that same vein of like, you know, I'll watch anything, watch this terrible movie. That's like so bad that it's funny, which it is. It's a hacky idea though. Like to assign that, you know, like garbage pail kids, the movie makes sense because of your, relationship to like that kind of uncanny puppetry that yeah. that has everything to do with why you know garbage pail kids the movie is not good and i knew right. it was not good but me telling you to watch it had a lot more to do with like oh this is going to upset you in like a spitting image way oh for sure for sure and it did so <laughs> <laughs> congratulations um but yeah no it's it's also you also realize that i i you thought i'd like it because i have an affinity towards fire hydrants and Doug Plug <laughs> the character that <laughs> Doug uh, Plug I'm a total pat splat pat splat <laughs> But i remember i actually um i don't know if i still have it but i had a, a working draft probably in like google drive or something or google documents where i was like trying to write something about birdemic and it's that thing where it's like i don't want to do plot summary do I just want to tear it down? Do I want to go into like the, the, the logic behind it? Do I want to go into the history of it? I, it's such a weird, hard assignment because you don't want to just be negative and there's no fun in writing about something unless you are just have a vehement reaction to it. I know, you know, the, the famous Roger Ebert, uh, review of North or Gene Siskel reviewing Friday the 13th, where it's just, it's, you can almost sense a, 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 get a certain sense of glee from them tearing something down. But for the most part, I think that we don't want to tear something down because who are we to say anything about people's hard work or whatever? You know, I don't know. Yeah. Except Boondock Saints. Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> that was a pretty negative podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Sorry, Adam. <laughs> I just don't like that movie, but. You know, it's fine. Yeah. Um, so it's fine. Uh, we watched uh, a documentary that just showed up on Amazon Prime um, that was talked about a little bit. Adam talked about it a few weeks ago, and then some people were talking about it in the weekend thread. Uh, and it's called In Search of the Last Action Heroes. And it is two and a half hours long, which is a little bit of a problem for the kind of documentary it is, which is essentially just this retrospective about primarily 80s action. It gets a little bit into 90s action and a little bit into 2000s. Um, The bulk of it is the 80s because it's talking about a very specific type of action movie and a very specific type of action star. Um, And it's like, it was super fun to watch, especially for me as an action movie fan because it just interviews a bunch of people that I know and like. It shows clips from a bunch of movies that I know and like. But as a documentary, it's like not great because it's too long. It's incredibly unfocused in terms of like what it actually wants to be about. It it changes its mind about four times through the course of the mm-hmm. documentary. Um, 
for the first hour, it's literally just summarizing like, and then this movie came out and then it was 1985 and Commando came out and then it was 1986 and Cobra came out and it, it just <laughs> kind of runs through. Um, and they're kind of beholden to talk about certain movies more than others because of who's involved. Uh, like if they have certain directors, you know that they're going to talk about their movies and we're going to sure. completely skip over maybe some of the bigger titles because they don't have anyone uh, associated with that movie appearing in the documentary. Um, I definitely enjoyed watching it. I would recommend it to anybody who likes action movies, but it's like not a great documentary, if that makes sense. It does. It seems like it's not a universal documentary. It's you like it because you like eighties action and nineties action specifically. And it was a, a nice walk through memory lane and probably highlighted some things that you really enjoyed, but for regular people. And I, I agree. And I think we'll get into this later with the, with our conversation about avatar, but like a two and a half hour movie, I mean, two and a half hour movies in general, unless you're, it's a really special movie, but like a two and a half hour documentary that seems kind of disjointed and meandering is like, Oh my gosh, that seems like work. Yeah. And it, you know, it's the kind of thing that you can probably watch like in sections because there's no real narrative through line that you have to follow. So you could probably watch like a half an hour at a time and maybe it would be better sure. that way. Honestly, well, I'm watching a 10-hour documentary on the Chicago Bulls from the Me 1990s. too, and it is awesome, it's and I'm so sad good. that there's only two more. It's we, I haven't seen the last, the one that came out last night because um, I was watching Avatar, but uh, I, it's, I, I didn't know what to expect when it first came out. Sorry to, to hijack your conversation or your, your review of the action stuff, but it's, um, it's so well done. And even my wife, who is not a Chicago Bulls fan – is younger than me, wasn't as plugged into obviously the nineties nostalgia and specifically the bulls and the NBA, but it's so watchable that she is, she's just as engrossed as I am. It's such an interesting deep dive into culture and nostalgia. And I don't know. I mean, the access, obviously they had a film crew following the, the 1998 bulls, but the access that access that they had and have to this day with all the players is really something it's, it's really amazing. <laughs> Um, last night has one of the, the one that, that aired last night, I guess it would be part eight has okay. one of the single greatest moments of the entire documentary it involves Michael Jordan watching an interview with Gary Payton. Oh, from the Sonics, from the Sonics, AKA the glove. Um, <laughs> it's really, really funny, but yeah, it's a funny. great, okay. it's a, it's a great documentary. Why did they sit on this footage for 22 years? I don't know. You know, I read something. This is does not answer your question, but I read something. Answer my question. I know. <laughs> Let me do a little song and dance first. <laughs> that uh, a film crew, totally separately, totally off topic, a film crew followed the Lakers during Kobe Bryant's last year as a Laker. And again, they were doing it for sort of posterity to knowing that this is a legendary basketball player, that they were going to someday make a documentary kind of in the same vein as the last dance. Here we are in 2020, obviously that's 22 years since the bulls won their last title. And now a, a great documentary comes out. So in 22 years from Kobe's retirement, when I don't know his last year was like 2016. No, it was young before that. Wasn't it? I have no well, whatever. 2014. It's, it's been, you know, it's been a while. Um, <laughs> there you go. Which joke? <laughs> um, but they were saying that they actually are going to kind of try to speed that up because of obviously the tragedy of his passing, and um, it's such you know, 
the success of the last dance, I think they're saying, oh, we could actually do this documentary now. Um, whatever. So I think that it's, it's probably a more common practice than we're aware of in terms of filming something, hoping that you get something so that down the road you can use it for some reason. It's right. almost like hedging your bets or sort of just like, well, let's just try it. And if we don't use it, no, no worries. If we can, great. You know, did you see a couple of years ago, the OJ Simpson documentary? No, I never did. And I was actually thinking about that the other day, just in sort of uh, my mind was in the documentary mindset, but w- why is it good? It's unbelievable. It's because there's a couple of different ones that came out. This right? is like the crazy long, like 10 hour. I don't, it's not 10 hours, but it's really long. It's called OJ Simpson made in America. And right. it's reminiscent of the last dance in terms of how far reaching it is, but it's even more far reaching. Cause it talks so much about what was happening in the country at the time and sort of the environment that allowed for some of those things to happen. Um, sure. It's an incredible look at at America at that time, uh, because you know the Last Dance is really s- s- totally focused on basketball and Michael Jordan as sort of a larger than life figure, but it doesn't really go beyond that world. And this goes so far beyond the world of professional mm. sports and OJ Simpson and even the OJ Simpson case. Um, I can't recommend it enough. Okay, I'll check it out. All right, all right, off my back. <laughs> it might be on <laughs> Netflix. I don't know. I thought it was a Netflix movie. Was it? it? Or yeah, no? it might have been. I mean, I know this. The Last Dance is is made in partnership with Netflix, so I know like my mom, who doesn't have ESPN, is really hoping that they drop it to Netflix sure. soon. I don't know what their plans are, but by the way, when you were rambling about something, I yeah. forgot what uh, yeah. I looked up. Star Trek Nemesis and uh, Kate Mulgrew plays Admiral Janeway. <laughs> Admiral. <laughs> Admiral. That's right, Chakotay. <laughs> it's so dumb. Hello, John Luke. She's like sometimes <laughs> doing a, a Catherine Hepburn impression, it feels like. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's so strange because I'm at a point now, and I know you're, I think you're a little farther along than I am because we're watching it kind of together. But not I really. kind I of bailed. Like, I was going so hard on Star Trek for weeks. Uh, and then I just like quit cold turkey because I've just been watching movies. So I do have to get back you got to it. Burned out, probably, right? I mean, it, yeah, you can definitely I think get so. Like- I was switching back. So I was watching a season of Deep Space Nine and then a season of Voyager and then a season of Deep Space Nine. So I got about halfway through season four. I got all through four of Deep Space Nine and about halfway through season four of Voyager. And I think that did it. You're just like, but you also say Deep Space Nine is it gets way better, and it's one of your favorites, right? Because it's it's like everything so far, and yeah, it, yeah. I really like it. And, and Voyager is just like the same. Voyager slop, is totally <laughs> watchable. But I will say this: it's you're right, Star it's totally Trek. watchable. <laughs> right. I will say this: like I am, I have a little. Is that Munchausen syndrome where it's like, no? What's the one you're in love with your captor? Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. So I have a little Stockholm syndrome where I'm like, the other day, it's always kind of on in the evening, like I'll be doing dishes, I'll turn it on in the background, or my wife will be coming and going. And I'll find myself like, really, like, I am I like, I'm turning on Janeway in a good way. I used to hate her. I used to hate her affect and her whole, uh, just like the way she commanded it reminded, it reminds me a little bit of my boss. I don't, don't like her. Um, <laughs> And uh, I'm, the other day, I was kind of like, just join away. She's, she's not such a bad captain. <laughs> that's why they oh made her God, admiral. That's right. That's right. 
Avatar. Most, yeah, we'll get to Avatar in just one second because most everything else I've been watching has been for like future shows. Uh, last week I had to watch a bunch of stuff like in preparation for that show. Um, Adam and I are doing an episode coming up that requires me watching like five or six movies. So I've been watching some of those. I've been watching a lot of Jackie Chan movies and um, watching, working my way through the complete Sartana box set, which was a series of spaghetti westerns made in the late 1960s about a character named Sartana. And so, so far I've watched, if you meet Sartana, pray for your death which is a great, great title, <laughs> followed up by I Am Sartana, Your Angel of Death, a.k.a. Wow. Sartana the Gravedigger. Oh, my gosh. And they're very entertaining. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm really impressed. Um, I was going back through the site and looking at all the, the, the more recent podcasts. And you're still doing, obviously, one movie, one show podcasts. But the number of shows that you've done in the last six months or so where it's been like, was it you and Adam Risky doing like the entire, all of the Star Trek, movies? like six Star Trek movies. I know you and Mike Pomero do Michael Dale Pomero do um, <laughs> like horror, entire horror you know, yes, movie. He wants series. to do the entire Hellraiser franchise. Now you did, we did that. Didn't we do the entire franchise? We did the me? first Hellraiser movie. That's all. Are the sequels that different from the first one? I don't know. <laughs> I've avoided a lot of them. Jesus wept again. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask you about Jerry Seinfeld's special. Is it just like greatest hits? Like there's still no grapes. There's still no nuts. <laughs> no, there's, it's actually, it's supposedly it's brand. I mean, I'm not, I don't know his stand up sure all that well, material, but it's, yeah. it's brand new content, but it definitely feels like it's from the nineties. Most of it. <laughs> Some of it is good. Some of it. I mean, again, I'm who am I to, you know, he's one of the best standups who's ever lived and his, you know, success and track record speaks for itself. But um, some of it actually is sort of really kind of self-aware and, and observant and interesting. And some of it's just kind of, you know, I don't want to say hacky because it's, I'm sure stand-up fans would, you know, crucify me for saying that, but it's just doesn't resonate with me is what I'll say. All right. All right. Some of it's good. Like the, like the whole, like the whole, something I was like outwardly laughing at, but I was like, wow, that's a really interesting observation that was, he kind of puts it in a funny way, you know, that's. That's what comics do. They they take whimsical observations and then they filter them through their kind of wacky prism. <laughs> their prism. <laughs> My lens. <laughs> I have no fucking lens. <laughs> Let's talk about Avatar again because it's been 10 years okay. since we last talked about Avatar. I'm thinking the next 10 years of this podcast are just going to be a one-to-one remake of the first yes. 10 years. So what's your next show on? Young Guns, baby. Young Guns. But you already, but you already recorded it, right? Correct. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I had just watched Avatar uh, because for my birthday, Erica kind of organized uh, a group tweet along since usually we would watch movies together for my birthday. That's what we like to do, but couldn't because of quarantine. So... Uh, Erica organized like a group tweet along and I picked a lineup that included Avatar because I was like, well, this will never fit into an F this movie fest, but it might be fun to watch as a group, especially because the themes of every one of my birthday marathons is usually like movies I think are kind of underrated. And even though it's 
now the second biggest movie of all time, but for many years it was the biggest movie of all time. Uh, I still believe Avatar to be a little bit underappreciated, I should say. Maybe not underrated, but underappreciated. So I wanted to include it. Plus, it was streaming on Disney+, and I was like, well, people have access to this. Um, a lot of a lot of different factors went into picking that lineup, you know. Um, yeah. So I had just watched Avatar. Rosie is back and wanting to say something. <laughs> I love Avatar. <laughs> okay. Today, when I was doing the rest of my school... I was watching it with Daddy. Yes, you were. All right. Thank you, Rosie. <laughs> These kids will be going to bed eventually, I think. I don't know. What time is it there? Oh, it's it's not even. That's Fortnite mode. Even... All right. Oh. Um, good night, guys. <laughs> Daddy's, Daddy's getting upset. <laughs> All right. Charlie says good night after this movie. Which oh, means I said good night, Uncle Doogie. Which I was like, oh. He said good night after this Uncle movie, Doogie. which I guess is the way we're going to wrap up this podcast. <laughs> it's kind of like Sam Ma- it's Sam Malone saying we're closed. It's the end of cheers. It's it's the Shutting end. Shutting the lights off. Yeah, it's the end. Good night after this movie. It's Michael Gross dying in a plane crash. <laughs> it's the end. <laughs> Can't believe they didn't let him go through with that. Um, I know. So uh, I had just rewatched it maybe a month, a little over a month ago. Um and it played really, really well for me that day, except because, again, I'm watching it through – It's you've talked about this phenomenon before where, like, you will tell Shadia, like, we got to watch this movie. I got to show you this movie. It's super funny. And then you put it on and it's, like, <laughs> not that funny and you're very, very aware of all this <laughs> stuff that's not working. So because yeah. I had positioned Avatar as like, Avatar's underappreciated and I'm programming it in this lineup of movies that I really like that I think need to to be given more love. Um, I'm, I'm definitely watching it through that uh, lens. And then all of the dialogue was <laughs> giving me douche chills. Where I was just like, all right, well, yeah. if you guys could just look past the dialogue, like this movie's really good. <laughs> but if you just, you just have to ignore all the things that people are saying all the time. <laughs> you have to like when at one point, Jake Sully first gets his legs, you know, as a Navi and he runs out of the little facility and he runs past a basketball court. And even the extras are giving terrible dialogue like you ain't got yes. no skills which is what a fourth grader thinks is basketball trash talk and yes it was embarrassing to hear a lot of the dialogue so i was reminded of that today that i just wish to god that james cameron had maybe co-written this movie with someone um well right let me let me go back a step too you said you watched it do. did you watch it did you watch it? I know it was part of your birthday marathon tweet along thing. Did you watch it before then also, or just you're saying you watched it as just part of the birthday thing, right? Just as part of the birthday thing. It had been a okay. number of years. I had seen parts of it. Cause like FX will show it and I'll always put it on. Like I'll leave the Oscar party early and I'll come home and FX will be showing avatar. So I'll just watch avatar <laughs> instead of the Oscars on FX right. with commercials. Um, of course, <laughs> but oh, and I, you know what I, well, I remember? Oh, what I didn't get to watch. I'll, I'll come back to this. Go ahead. No, I was going to say I um, I missed. I, I was participating in your birthday tweet along thing, but I had a, a a plumbing emergency the night before our our master bath shower broke, 
and I had to go to Home Depot with a mask and gloves on to buy a valve to replace it. And I remember I came in halfway through, so I finished it in the morning, and then Avatar was around like I think two o'clock or maybe like noon California time. And I came in, and I was blown away by the excitement that everyone was having for it. Like yeah. I think it was at the point where he was finally accepted as a, a, a Navi in his Avatar body, Jake Sully, and uh, he was choosing Neytiri. <laughs> All these fucking words. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and i was like sucked right back in and i'm like oh my gosh and everyone was really really down so i think you're being a little critical which is obviously what who you are and, and that's fine but i do think people really really enjoyed it um as part of that lineup yeah and i i don't know if that's like people just being polite to be in the spirit of the thing or if it really was a situation where it was playing better for people, you know? And if that's the case, well, then that makes me really happy because that was sort of the the purpose yeah. of me programming it there. Um, well, I can't lie. I mean, I, I'm, I, I was... You can lie and often do. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. But I do think that, that that environment welcomes, even if... I don't think people can fake it for five movies in a row. I do think that environment... <laughs> Uh, kind of engenders this sort of excitement and you're seeing things, not just you seeing it through our eyes, but all of us seeing it through each other's eyes too. It's very cannibalistic in that respect. But no, I think that anytime I'll see a comment, like if Eric Asperschlager makes say, says something really funny or anyone else kind of makes an observation that I hadn't thought of before, it sort of gives me a new appreciation for it. And I don't, I w you wouldn't have had that without this unique environment that, that you came up with. So it's a pretty cool thing. Um, I don't remember. And you re-listened to the podcast. So you tell me when we recorded that episode, I know that like I had been watching the movie both on HBO and on Blu-ray. Um, but the special edition had not yet come out. Right. Cause we didn't talk about like the alternate cuts. No, in fact, I'm still unaware of alternate cuts, but no, we did not talk about that on the 2010 show. Okay. There are three different cuts of the movie and I wanted to revisit. I wasn't going to watch the movie three times, um, but I wanted what? to <laughs> revisit uh, at least like the alternate opening for the longest cut, which starts uh, with Jake Sully, like in the city and gives a, a lot more background uh instead of like some of the stuff of him being told about his brother's death as a flashback, it's sort of played out in real time. Um, and I don't like that version as much because it gets rid of, if I'm remembering correctly, the like bookend shot of the eye, you know? Uh, but I, I didn't have a chance to watch those versions because our avatar Blu-ray is now sitting in a box uh, with all of our other movies, now that our basement has flooded, we had to box up a bunch of our movies, and it's I couldn't have found it, so I just watched it on Disney Plus, and so now I can't really talk about the alternate versions. I remember there were three cuts. I kind of liked the middle one because it was pretty similar to the theatrical cut, but included a little bit of extra. It's maybe nine minutes longer, um, okay. and it, it includes which one's on Disney Plus? Is that this that's the theatrical? The theatrical cut? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I yeah. gotcha. Um, so but no, I wish I could talk about, talk about the, the, uh, again, my, my listening to it today as in preparation, if I'm nothing, if not prepared for these types of shows, thank you, is, uh, was that you 
your comment, and again, people could go back and listen, maybe skip some parts where I'm talking. <laughs> um, but the uh, the thing was that you had made a comment about how you kind of actively didn't like it when you first saw it, that maybe you were, it was so hyped up that you were just let down by it. And then you had come back to it and you were, what I gathered, and again, I don't, I, it's hard to remember all the, 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 the dates and the time, like how it all happened, but you were on the upward swing of your falling back in love with it. Um, that's when I think we recorded the podcast. You were definitely on board with it. You liked it a lot, but you were still very critical of it. Um, I think it was maybe a couple more years until you just completely fell in love with it hard and forgave it for all of its terribleness. (laughs) I thought by the time we recorded the podcast that I was already like on board with it. I didn't realize that I was still, because it was, you might've been, yeah, you might've been more, you you might've been on board with it. I just got to, I, what I gathered from you talking was more you hedging the praise you had for it as opposed to i feel like in later years you would just own like no it's great and this is why instead of sort of you know giving qualifications as to why you thought it was great well and part of that is like because i think it's funny to be the person that loves avatar you know like unironically (laughs) um so i definitely like sell my affection for it but it's genuine affection you know and i'll sure yeah i'll tweet stuff out about like I'm genuinely excited for the Avatar sequels and people that are supposed to be colleagues of mine will chime in to make fun of me. People who don't talk to me otherwise, you know, will chime in to make fun of me. And it's like, well, fuck you. I'm excited. <laughs> so. yeah. Whatever nerd. That's like their tweet back to you. <laughs> oh, it's totally. I mean, that's exactly what it is. And it's like, I don't care. How can I not be excited about sequels to these movies? I'm still hoping that um, because there's not going to be any movies when theaters reopen, I'm hoping for a bunch of repertory screenings and I'm hoping Disney is smart and says like, well, let's re-release Avatar in 3D IMAX. And not that I would necessarily go. I'm not anxious to go out to a theater and be surrounded by a crowd of people, but it would be tempting if they were to do that. You know, I would, I would definitely consider it. I'd wear a mask and 3D glasses. I would look like the invisible man. (laughs) It's so funny. You bring that up. Actually, we had a a conversation the other night with Ashadi about this too, where it's sort of like, I get that now, like, you know, Onward was supposed to come out in theaters and they just put it right on Disney plus and the trolls movie was supposed to come out and universal decides to put it for rent for 20 bucks. This is off AMC Scoob (laughs) is coming out. And, uh, there's a lot of movies that are sort of like, they're trying to figure out when like Maverick top gun Maverick, you know, that's been just pushed indefinitely. And then we just, we're talking like in, well, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Um, in, (laughs) in like a year, there's going to be nothing no TV no, shows, no. no movies, maybe new music because people can do that kind of remotely. But um, I was reading some article about, you know, some insider industry back, you know, uh, whatever, um, inside movie stuff where they were talking about how the industry is going to have to change how they do productions even, even when all these things are lifted, if it's stage four, stage five of like the reopening of California, that they're still going to be like, they're not going to have you know, 50 people on set to do a scene between two people. It's going to be a very different sort of thing once that comes and it might be a permanent change. So it's going to be very interesting. I think that's actually really smart. If these studios and movie theater chains figure out like we can run, um, you know, popular famous movies and make some money. It's not going to be, you know, huge groundbreaking bucks, but at the same time, it's like at least gives us a chance to see stuff theatrically that we wouldn't normally see. Well, when you think of all the stuff that's been re-released, you know, including by Disney, 
now that they own Avatar, I just I feel like there's money to be made there because it hasn't been seen in that format. I mean, it hasn't been re-released, period, but it hasn't been viewable in 3D IMAX since 2009. And I just feel like there's an audience that would want to go relive that experience. Me included. You know, I bet you, right. I bet you that because the, this avatar two is supposed to come out, by the way, on the, the it's never coming out No, on the 2010 podcast, we, you and I were somehow like for some inexplicable reason in love with saying avatar. We just said avatar all the time. Comedy gold. Because I think that's how Arnold Schwarzenegger had said it. It's like there's not a joke there. There was like a clip of him saying something about Avatar and Gladiator. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But uh, because the it's scheduled again, scheduled to come out. Because I think it's. I mean, they're filming back to back. I think two, three, and four, right? Or maybe just two and three. Uh, I think it's Um, two, three, and four. And some of it's wrapped up, I would think. So maybe they could keep on schedule to some extent. And some of that stuff, and, and not to sound like ignorant or sort of. A, a presumptive but like because there is so much motion capture and because there is so much it's not like they're actually in fucking right, pandora right, they right. can i would think that they could probably recreate some of the stuff without having to have 50 people in a room anyway it would make sense i'm going to call it right now that before avatar 2 comes out end of 2021 that they would do a re-release of avatar to kind of get that hype train going it's interesting though you, you mentioned i'm going to jump back to something you said earlier about how when you schedule the movie for your birthday marathon that you like to, you know, historically in the past, you've championed movies that were either underrated or that you thought needed more appreciation. I recall like Phantom of the Paradise, Southland Tales, those types of movies that we were unaware of even as friends of yours or as fellow movie lovers, but sort of watching them in this environment gave us a new appreciation. One movie, actually, it just popped in my head. I forgot the name of it, but the one movie I really, really enjoyed that you showed at a birthday, I think, seven years ago, probably, Denzel Washington time deja vu deja vu a movie that like even the title's terrible but (laughs) you watch it and it's like damn this is a really good movie i love that movie kind of stuff that like you 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 kind of promote and champion and that's why i always kind of lean on you and say like hey what should i watch this or that and you always say terminator salvation (laughs) (laughs) or voyager i tell Um, the story about terminator salvation to my class every semester (laughs) <laughs> because I'm talking about how sarcasm doesn't work in text messages. Yes. And so when I'm texting you back about like, Oh, it's really good. You should see it. And you're texting me back. Wait, really? Uh, right. And then I talk about how you were on a date with the woman that you would eventually marry. And that I right. could have been responsible for destroying that relationship. And three children's lives wouldn't exist if right. I had somehow talked you into seeing uh, terminator salvation. Let's flip that and say that you, because you didn't talk me into Terminator Salvation, yeah. because you saved it with a follow-up text saying, yes. like, no, I'm kidding, yeah. that you are personally responsible for my children. I, so was, thank you. I was already taking responsibility for that. <laughs> um, so back to – you said Avatar is obviously – it's the was the highest grossing movie of all time, is now number two after Avengers Endgame took over. Is it End, Endgame? That was the number one? Yeah, which is a and, little unfair uh, it's, when it's like – that's part 23 of a franchise. Right. But it's interesting, actually. I, I read another thing that said, and I, I looked it up, that said Avatar actually adjusted for inflation is still number two. So oh. in, in, in current dollars and adjusted for inflation, and I think Avengers Endgame adjusted for inflation is like number eight or nine. Gone with the Wind's number one adjusted for inflation. Anyway, it's interesting because there's a, um, a YouTube person out there who does a uh, has a youtube channel called internet comment etiquette with eric 
And his name is Eric, uh, shoot, what's his name? Eric Hofstad or something. And I think before he had this channel, I saw a, a very early YouTube clip of him interviewing people in, I want to say Santa Monica or Venice or somewhere in California, talking about how Avatar is the highest grossing movie of all time. We're going to go around and talk to people about it and ask them if they can name one character from Avatar. <laughs> and the joke, obviously, it's the, you know what the joke is. He walks around. He interviews people. He says, have you seen Avatar? Yes, I have. You know, it's the highest grossing movie. Yes, I know that. Can you name one character? And obviously not one person. It's a very Jay Leno-esque <laughs> man on the street type of thing. But I do think it shines a light a little bit on sort of the this phenomenon. What is this movie? It is James Cameron, arguably one of the most successful directors of all time with Terminator T2, Titanic, this movie. Um, it's got, aside from Sam Worthington, it's got Sigourney Weaver. It's got some, you know, some bigger names. Joel Not, David Moore. It's got Joel David Moore. It's got the, it's got CCH Pounder. <laughs> Wes Studi. <laughs> Slang. It's, you know, it's, it's obviously a complete creation, almost in the vein of Star Wars, where it's this, his imagination is creating a world, a dumb world, albeit, but at the same time, <laughs> it's a world in which it's fully fleshed out and it's lived in and it's sort of this mythology and all this other stuff that surrounds that. And yet, and of course, you and I know it's Jake Sully and Natiri and there's other words that we'll say during the course of this podcast that are part of this movie. But it's true that it's for a movie that everyone saw in, 20, in 2009, why is it so sort of forgotten about? Also, I feel like, when the when the sequel comes out, eleven years after or twelve years after the release of the first one, are people going to go watch it? I think the answer is yes, because obviously at that point, especially with quarantine, we'll be so desperate and eager about. Sorry, that's my son in the background. He's we're, desperate we're so for des- the sequel. <laughs> he wants Avatar two now. He's out of his mind for Jake Sully. <laughs> his name is Anton Worthington. <laughs> um, anyway, so. I, I'm just, I'm very, it's it's a very interesting type of movie that I don't think has existed before in as much as it made so much money and was so part of the culture for a blip on a radar, has not had any legs or staying power. Um, even I feel like Disney Plus is trying to make it happen. Like they were trying to make Noel happen around the Christmas time <laughs> holidays. That Avatar is like always like the second or third suggestion for me. And it might know me pretty well at this point, but at the same time, it's like, okay, I get it. I get it. Avatar. Okay. I think the success of Avatar, and I'm not saying anything new or insightful, had more to do with its presentation than with its content. Well, I think that has to be the case because its content is no bueno. All right, now back it up. (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about? I don't speak Spanish. So uh, what exactly? So you rewatched it last night. Yes. What so was your reaction? It, I watched half of it during your birthday celebration and watched again, rewatched it last night. Here's the thing. I don't, I would give Avatar a positive review. I'm not sure what that means in terms of if it were a better movie. <laughs> if I liked movies. <laughs> if I enjoyed movies. Um, I know I would give Avatar a positive review if I was ever a film cricket and I'm not. Um, I don't know what that means in terms of like, is that two and a half or is that three stars? I would still, I would give it a positive review because I do think it is so groundbreaking. And I do think what it manages to accomplish is actually pretty astounding, um, specifically giving humanity to something that is like so bizarre looking 
and we root for them and we find ourselves so swept up and immersed in that world that when you're first presented with how they look and the fantastical uh, nature of how they live and sort of the, the, the tribal aspect and the religious aspect to be it, you know, native American or Aboriginal or even Indian. I know that like Cameron, James Cameron, I just call him Cameron, um, mm-hmm. borrowed a lot from like Indian Sanskrit, you know, Vishnu, all that, the, the, a lot of borrowed culture in this movie. And sort of when you're first presented with it, it's sort of, it's very much for me at least arm's length and like, I don't feel comfortable with this, but then by hour eight, it's like, okay, I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> had to get a dig in there no, didn't you i did always um so i would give it a positive review but that being said i don't love avatar i don't love it obviously not as much as you do and not even as much i know um adam thaz adam beta wrote something about avatar in 2018 i think it's one of the movies he loves for the, the one of our thanksgiving features oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and i know that other um people on the site have talked about it and have also kind of come down on the side of like this movie is actually kick butt and we love it I don't love it, and I, I know that sounds really negative. I don't mean to sound super negative in saying that because I still would give it a positive review, but there's still something about it, like all the things you say. The dialogue is terrible. Uh, eat your eyes for jujubes. The villain is like <laughs> worse than Billy Zane and Titanic. I'm not, I wouldn't say worse. They're just like, it, as, as JB said, it's villain stamped on the forehead. It's he's, it's he's written in broad strokes. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, there's so much that is keeping me from just loving it outright. And I know that's, I'm being very qualifying right here, but it's, I want to love it. I want to uh, live in this world. And I think part of it, if I had to defend, not defend, but if I had to kind of come up with a reason, I think if I had seen Avatar at age 11 or 12, the, the impressionable young boy mind, I would have been like totally down. I would have, bought all the action figures because it's the eighties and action figures were popular then. Um, I don't think there were any action figures when this came out in 2009. Maybe there, I'm sure there were, but nothing that was obviously, you know, as impactful as like the George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, right. you know, creations of the eighties and nineties. Um, but I think if I saw it younger, more impressionable, more sort of wanting to be swept up in the mythology of it, I saw it when I was, you know, 30 or whatever and, or 31 and just like, okay, I've seen this a million times before. Like you point out, James Cameron, I don't know if it was a joke, but Broad Strokes is his wheelhouse. <laughs> Everything is sort of like the, the, why spend more, why spend another minute on dialogue when what I wrote works? In as much as like the most ham fisted, most obvious way of saying something, James Cameron always lands on that. He doesn't find nuance. He doesn't, he's not interested in sort of characterizations or finding the, the, in fact, I, I will say with one exception, there's a scene with Neytiri, who's the daughter of like the, the, the tribe leader and the spiritual leader of the of the, the tribe and the, the tree. I forget the name of the tree. The tree of life. The tree of Mother. souls or home tree? There's two different important trees <laughs> in this movie. Home tree. I think it's home tree. Okay. But one of them. Well, home tree gets destroyed. Yes. And then the tree, tree of souls is the one that they're like, well, we have to defend the tree of souls. Right what you said about the trees. Um, there's a scene in which the, I think the mother says, we're going to teach Jake Suli our ways and Neytiri, you're going to be responsible. And there's a reaction that, and I give credit to um, Zoe Saldana for doing that, like from th- that she did it a, that they were able to motion capture it B and that it made the, the final cut C is that she does this reaction. That's actually so human. And it's not, it's just sort of like a frustrated, like she throws her hands down and does this sort of grunt that is so 
interesting and funny. And I wish the, the movie had more of those moments because I feel like, again, the moments that the movie has is just like, <laughs> I love running. Well, I'm pretty good at flying a dragon. You know, it's just like, <laughs> it's all of that. <laughs> Do you think that there's a part of James Cameron that like, does he go broad on purpose? I know he goes broad with the story beats on purpose. Um, I, I believe that to be true. I don't know that to be true. I believe that to be true, that he's interested in telling stories that have familiar beats um, that are sort of easy to follow dramatically. And again, with Avatar, you know, he's specifically making a movie not just for a domestic audience, but for a global audience. And so the story beats need to be broad and familiar um, to an audience that maybe doesn't understand the language, but do you think that some of his characterization, some of his dialogue, do you think that some of that stuff is broad on purpose and that that explains its universal appeal? Like we as film fans are like, I wish this could be a little more subtle. I wish this could be a little sharper. I wish this could be a little wittier or smarter. And I do think, I believe that it would be a better movie if that were true, if it had better dialogue. You know, you look at The Empire Strikes Back. And Lee Brackett wrote the dialogue in that movie, and the dialogue is great. And that's why The Empire Strikes Back is kind of a better movie than Star Wars, right? Right. Um, so I, I believe Avatar would be a better movie with better dialogue. But do you think that James Cameron is is making it broad on purpose to appeal to the largest possible audience, which he ends up doing? Yes with an if, no with a but. <laughs> now, I think that uh, – You have that on a t-shirt. <laughs> I think you're onto something. I think that, you know, James Cameron's such an interesting guy because on one hand, he is everything that I want a director and a producer and a creative mind to be. He is super creative. He's innovating with technology. He is an environmentalist. I mean, he's self-admittedly talked about how there is an ecological bent to this movie. He's a tree I hugger. It. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> That one went over my head. Um, but he's talked about it overtly saying like, you know, and, and again, who do you, what kind of person do you want to be creating and, and, and directing movies that are larger than life? He's obviously thinks he's visionary in that he thinks larger than life. He's, you know, you think about uh, the Terminator movie, the, the franchise and, and Titanic and how I think, who was it? Uh, was it? Adam Risky during the zoom call, we talked about briefly talked about avatar and he was saying like how it's just at a certain point in the movie, you're just like, you have to like take a step back and look around. Like, how do we get here? I wouldn't even know how to do this or how to put this on a paper and, and communicate this to my team of creatives who would then go make my vision a reality. And it's, mm -hmm. that is, it's so impressive. And that's again, all credit to avatar and to James Cameron. So James Cameron is all those things. He's visionary, technological, he's environmental. You'd think he's got a humanity angle that he is, you know, I think he's a, a major egotist too, that he's like caught up in his own, you know, uh, aura and sort of legend. All um, right. But at the same time, all right. <laughs> <laughs> the next decade. <laughs> We're evolving, everyone. But there's also the element of him talking about how I read something that said, you know, the Navi are obviously not human, but they're humanoid. Um, do they come are, you know, I don't care enough to even explore the myth, not the mythology, but the, the biology of Navi, but like, 
do like how how they look does it make sense and he he was quoted as saying like natiri needs to have boobs because it makes her hot because that's the way that jake suley falls in love with her and i'm like how is this the same person how is this the person that's like so sort of forward thinking and giving historically females with the exception of i think we talked about this in the 2010 podcast but like with the exception of jamie lee curtis and true lies but you've got linda hamilton in the terminator series and you've got really strong females in so much of what he does and yet in the same breath he will say something so sexist and misogynist and sort of err on the side of this military industrial speak that i know that they're the villains but you can't there's a certain sort of like Yes, they're the bad guys, but look how cool they are element to them, too. That's sort of like it's he's talking out of both sides of his mouth sometimes. Yeah. But to answer your question about does he speak in broad strokes, I think absolutely he does it on purpose because he's more interested. Number one, he's more interested in sort of the technical stuff and sort of the bigger picture. So he's not so focused on sort of the dialogue getting from point A to point B. I mean, I think he looks at it more like I have to start here and I have to end here. And the middle is just formula. And who cares what the exact beats are when they come? They just have to come. So let's just fill in the blanks. Um, But I also know, or I don't know, but I also think that he is doing it in such a way that he's trying to appeal to as as broad an audience as possible. Like you said, it's so funny to to think back in in 2009 or even 1996 when he first proposed to make this movie as his follow-up to Titanic, that to think about a global audience – because nowadays, I mean, good gravy, all the Star Trek, all, not Star Trek, sorry, Star Trek on the brain, <laughs> all the Star Wars movies, um, all the Avengers Marvel movies. I mean, are those nothing if not pandering toward every third, you know, um, international market right. that they're going to sell their movies to? And he was thinking that way in a way back in the 90s before it was sort of what every movie studio was doing. So. You know, I, I some, I'm not a writer. Um, I do write for a living, but not in creative writer. I wish I did more creative writing because whenever I try to write creatively, I get caught up in my own head about details and nuance and sort of beats and little small moments, which to your point earlier, you know, that isn't what he's focused on. He's focused on just mass appeal. And I'm thinking like, oh, if if only more people were focused on that, we'd have more things to consume. I don't know. I'm just kind of talking in circles right now, but. Well, all of his movies are, I think, incredibly dramatically functional. And I think sometimes we sell short the appeal um, of something that is dramatically functional. Um, Because his dialogue has kind of always, you know, has kind of always been not great. I remember watching Aliens as part of F This Movie Fest two years ago, three years ago. And realizing, like, oh, his dialogue has always been kind of sucky. Like, Aliens is a better movie than Avatar, I think. And there's a lot to love about Aliens beyond the dialogue. But there's a lot of that same cornball marine dialogue in Aliens as there is in Avatar. Mostly there is. Mostly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, you know, something like The Terminator is incredibly dramatically functional and, and remains his best movie, I think, because it's also incredibly tight. And the rest of his movies aren't as tight as The Terminator is. Um, I think his least dramatically functional movie, and I still believe it to be his worst movie, is True Lies, because I think that movie's kind of a mess. I was watching today uh, Lethal Weapon 3 for a column that I'm writing with Adam Risky. 
And in my mind, Lethal Weapon 3 was always like, it's fun. It's not as good as Lethal Weapon or Lethal Weapon 2, but hey, the gang's all back. And I'm watching it today, and it's like, did they make this up on the spot? What are they doing? This movie changes gears every few minutes. There's no real overarching story. It's always just like, we got to go here to do that thing. And then in the next scene, we got to go here to do that thing. And it's switching between sort of comedy and R-rated action, uh, but not in a way that feels intentional. Um, It's just, it's, it's such a giant mess. And Avatar is long and Avatar is probably a little bit bloated. I don't feel that because I like the movie. Um, and so I'm on board. I will admit there's a section where it dips and kind of loses my interest a little uh, from the point at which like Sigourney Weaver dies up until the last battle. Um, I, I pressed display when Sigourney Weaver got shot and says like, this is going to ruin my day. It says something stupid <laughs> like that. No. Hey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my goddamn cigarette? Um and I and there was still almost an hour of the movie left, and I was like, "Well, how right. is that possible?" So there's a long section where uh, they're sort of gearing up for the final battle, that and and trying to bring Sigourney Weaver back to life. There's a, a bunch of stuff that happens, and I remember I don't know at what point it happened, but I remember seeing Avatar. I remember the experience of seeing it. Me, Erica, you, Shadia, and Jan. In 3D IMAX, the Saturday of its opening weekend, we were in a a sold-out matinee. It was the same day that my son took his first steps. And (laughs) (laughs) the two huge things happened to me that day. (laughs) Um, I remember having the thought, like, this is fine, but I can't imagine ever sitting through this stuff again. Like, I wasn't hating the movie, but I was consciously thinking, like, this will be the only time I ever see this because these scenes feel like filler and I'll never want to sit through them again. Of course, the irony is I've sat through them a bunch of times because I've seen this movie a lot. Um, but my my gut feeling is that it was somewhere in that section where I, the movie sags a little bit. Do you st- Wait, do you still feel like it sags? I do. I, again, I okay. like the movie, so I'm on board for all of it. But I recognize that again, dramatically, there's a there's a whole like act four of a five act movie um, that probably could have been condensed. Sure, I think it doesn't help. Also, that and again, I I don't want to. <laughs> earlier in the show, we talked about how positive we are, and now I'm just being like. <laughs> Like what the fuck is up with Sam Worthington? Um, I he's fine. I, he it's interesting because I read that you know the studio or someone had suggested like a Matt Damon type or Jake Gyllenhaal, and he wanted a an unknown, which I think at that time Sam Worthington was. Yeah, like I read he was living in his car or something, and uh, he was a man on Aust- the ledge. He was he was uh, born in the UK but was raised in Australia, and that might account for some of his bad vocal affect i think um a little bit um doesn't bother me when you've got a sam worthington as your your major lead i i do think zoe saldana does a really good job in a very kind of crazy role she's um, incredible how do you yeah i mean how do you emote 
when you're wearing, I, I assume I'm, I'm, I'm picturing like Bobby Moynihan in the tennis ball sketch on SNL as the dragon from game of Thrones, you know, <laughs> that that's like Zoe Saldana's Neytiri. But I also think, and again, uh, I, I love Sigourney Weaver. Um, I think that so much of what she's done is so great. She is a legend, but when you give her hacky dialogue, she, and she's given, she's not given a ton to do in this movie in terms of, I mean, she plays a very specific role, a foil to, uh, you know, to, to balance, to balance out, you know, certain things, but she is not an acting heavyweight. And I don't say that as a knock or try to sound negative. I just mean it, that she plays a very specific role. I think as Ripley, she is unbelievable. Again, she is in the pantheon of excellent action heroines. Um, but when she plays this, when she's relegated to playing a doctor barking for her cigarette, it just, all it does to me is shine a light on the bad dialogue. And when you've got, um, Sam Worthington, who up until maybe five minutes before you pressed record, I was convinced was Charlie Hunnam from Pacific Rim, <laughs> um, that there's Kaiju. those types of, right. There's those types of actors that like, they seem to fit the part that they look, I mean, he looks the right way and he's not a terrible actor. I'm not suggesting he's just like, you know, he doesn't have any business being there, but it's like, there is, it's missing that, uh, that gravity, that weight that you need with that character. It's sort of, he's just sort of spouting out the, the, the hacky dialogue about being a Marine and a jarhead and blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm not getting like the emotional connection as well, as much as I want. Um, and I think they use a lot of shortcuts too, like with his, you know, he's in a wheelchair. And so like, automatically have built in sympathy for him and he lost his brother. So there's built in sympathy and it's, you know, it's just, I, I think that it magnifies the hacky dialogue that is probably to your earlier point written on purpose to be broad, to be more functional over form. It's almost very Bauhausian in terms of mm-hmm. like, we're, I'm not so focused on it sounding pretty. I'm focused on getting to the next beat, the next moment um, when you've got, uh, you know, a reference to wizard of Oz, like you're not in Kansas, you're going to eat your eyes for juju. Everything that fucking character says is really terrible. And I think that that actor actually is a, probably a pretty, I don't really know his work, the, the, uh, Colonel Quaritch. Um, but I think he's probably a, a, a stronger actor than he's even allowed to be in this because he's playing a cartoon. Yeah. I think he plays the role exactly as it's meant to be played. I think he, uh, digs into being the son of a bitch that the character is written to be. It's just that the character is written to be incredibly broad. I don't think there's a problem with his performance, but I don't really think there's a problem with any of the performances. I just don't think with the exception of, I I think Stephen Lang kind of elevates his character because he's so detestable. And I think a lot of that has to do with the performance, not just the dialogue. I think Zoe Saldana is probably the only actor who really elevates the material uh, to being something more, I think everybody else, again, is functional. I don't think Sam Worthington is bad. I think he's functional. I don't think Sigourney Weaver is bad. I think she's functional, you know. Um, Joel David Moore is very believable. Is kind of a nerdy scientist. Michelle yeah. Rodriguez, uh, I think I joked on Twitter the day we watched it for my birthday that like somebody in a meeting said something like, we need a Michelle Rodriguez type for this. (laughs) (laughs) And they just went straight to the source. And she's like standing right there. Like I'm in the room, (laughs) like just hire me already. (laughs) And this was why she bowed out of fast and furious, right? Like, cause she's not in, they killed her off in four. 
I was going to say, isn't and she five. still part she's of out that? Of, she's out of five also, but then she comes back in six. Because she's family, so she came back. Six is all about her having amnesia. Perfect. Having to remember <laughs> her love for Dom. Let's talk about dialogue some more <laughs> with uh, Fast and Furious. Right. Exactly. I don't hear people complaining about the dialogue in those movies. <laughs> why? Well, I think – no, here, here's, here's why, though, I think. Because I think Fast and Furious is um, – it is what it is. Uh, it's disposable. It's fun. But it's, it's ultimately um, junk food, right? I think Avatar, what – at least my take on it is sort of like it could it is amazing it is again i had mentioned before that it does suck me in and i'm amazed at how well actually i am immersed in this kind of borderline racial culture that like this you know i as a white man another white man is is you know deciding that the navi look like this and they act like this and i'm like this kind of makes me uncomfortable until you're <laughs> sort of more immersed in it and all of a sudden it's like again i'm i'm blown away that by our hour two thank I'm you like totally team navi um but i think the reason why we're focused on the dialogue here is because we're always hopeful kind of like with michael bay when he has another project especially with pearl harbor we've talked about this before it's like oh hopefully this will be the movie that he gets serious and actually gives it the grit the gravity and the weight that it needs to, because he's actually a really proficient technical director if he just takes a little more time to focus on these other elements this could be something this could be elevated this could be something on a different level and i think the same is true for avatar it's sort of like this is already really really good the technical aspects of it are unbelievable it's it's award-winning cinematography. He invented technology to do all the, you know, cinescoping or whatever it's called. Um, that you just want it to be you want to nudge it in the upper levels of sort of like it needs to be, you know. And I think that it's it's just not there. It's it's almost like a tale of two movies where it's like it's all these great things mixed with all these sort of kind of bad things. So what are what so the dialogue? You're not crazy about the characterizations. You're not crazy about. I is mean, that I personally, it? that's a lot. I mean, I'm not. Are, I'm not saying. Yeah, like, those the, are the big things. I mean, for me, I do think it's a little long. It's a little bloated. You had mentioned the fourth act or whatever. Um, I do think there's a, there's an element of the character design. As much as again, by the second hour, I'm on board. There is an element where it's like it's not. Um, instantly appealing it's not sort of this natural like i'm not connecting with these characters when i first see them there is that and i I think that might be by design also that it's sort of like we're not going to present you with a uh, character design that is like a fluffy puppy you know it's it's you're going to have to if you like if you end up liking the navi it's not going to be because of how they look it's going to be because how they act and how they how they treat the the hyenas that they kill or whatever i don't even know but um so it's a little bloated it's a little long the, the, I don't like Sam Worthington, honestly. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, again, I still give it a positive review. I don't want to sound. I don't want to be the negative guy or the, the no, person. No, it's who's fine. Just, I mean, stop jumping down my throat. I think more people listening to this will be in your camp than mine. I don't agree with that. By the way, I think it, enough time has passed, and um, it, we've talked about this show enough, especially for the the regular listeners that the. I think that there's a, a consensus of sort of like, no, this is all these things are all the things that I'm kind of pointing out are forgiven. And it's sort of it needs to be considered one of the better movies of, you know, that era. <laughs> era. Um, I like 
I like the thing about the the hyena that <laughs> that Jake Sully kills or that Natiri kills, um, because it calls to mind a very old trope that JB often points out about westerns, which is that in westerns you can tell who the good guys are because they have respect for life, and that the bad right. guys don't. And so again, it's a very, very sort of classical idea um, that he's transplanted to this crazy world. And I am, you know, the design is weird. And I always thought it was such a weird choice that he made them so big. Um, but now I love it. And when we get to the end, there's two shots. <laughs> One is where she's sort of cradling him um, at the very end after Korich has been killed and she's kind of cradling him and she's three times his size. But there's another moment where, and I think it's like Sute who he jumps onto an aircraft during the battle and he just starts chucking guys off. And he's again, so much bigger than they are that I'm, <laughs> you don't see, because it's usually Navi interacting with Navi for most of the movie. So you kind of right. forget the scale. Um, and when I'm reminded of the scale, I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Because, again, in most movies, aliens are played by, you know, people in makeup. So they have to be the size of humans. Uh, I noticed that this recent watch that the avatars, the humans in the Navi bodies have five fingers and the Navi have four, which I interesting. found interesting. Then I, then I looked it up and actually they, I read then the humans also have eyebrows and the Navi don't have eyebrows. Oh. It's like, oh, James Cameron really thought this thing out. <laughs> Turns out that's a blooper. That's just a continuity error. Whoops. <laughs> it's like all the cats have buttholes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just, you know, again, technically speaking, just the shot composition. And I, I've said this every time we talk about James Cameron, but like, and I will repeat the phrase that I always use about James Cameron and that is James Cameron knows how to put a movie together and yes. think about how many action scenes we've seen just in the last 10 years that are indecipherable, that are incompetent, that are just visual noise and fast cutting. And it's not just Michael Bay. Um, even something like the movie uh, that everybody talked about for a weekend, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Extraction on Netflix the Chris Hemsworth movie. There's a, like a 10 minute single take that everybody was kind of losing their minds over. And uh, I think Adam Risky had texted me and I kind of agree with him that like the novelty of the single take has worn off and we know it's not a single take. So it's less impressive to me. You know, again, right. you and I are fans of that movie, Victoria, which we know yes. to be a, an actual single take. That to me is amazing when you're just kind of faking it. It doesn't do much for me anymore because you can hide all the cuts with computers. And so you can hide everything with computers. And that's why. Yeah, right, right, right. And the action and extraction just didn't do a whole lot for me. It's definitely inspired more by like the John Wick school. And I love the John Wick movies. So and it's trying to do that. But I don't know. There's something so clean about the way that James Cameron uh, shoots and edits all of his movies where it's like he's showing you exactly what he wants to show you exactly as much as you need to see and no more and no less every frame. I'd also, um, I agree completely. Um, and, um, I, I, I was focused too much on some negatives. So some positives like to that end, there are some, not just the action, not just the fight sequences, but sort of like when they're, 
they're climbing the floating mountains, which you know, I have a uh, the Hallelujah uh, Mountains. The Hallelujah Mountains. I have a physics problem with, but whatever. I will suspend my disbelief <laughs> yes. and not come, not be so petty about stuff like that. But just out I, of when curiosity, find, uh, mm. the Hallelujah Mountains. That is a that's a humanoid phrase for the mountains, right? The Navi don't call them the Hallelujah Mountains. I'm assuming because again. How would they know what exactly? <laughs> like, I just think it's so odd that they would use that word. Uh, I would assume that's yeah, right. Uh, do they call it Pandora too? I don't even know because like, Pandora has meaning here, like on Earth. I, Alpha Centauri, it might mean something different. I don't know, the gas giant. Um, but so when they first find, I don't know what the creatures are called. I called them dragons earlier, but they're like the flying, yeah, like um, the banshee creatures. things, the thing that you the ride, banshees, right? At, uh, that when on the on the he, Disney ride is uh, there's not one at uh, Disneyland. So Disney World, there is or is it Animal Kingdom or something that there is an uh, Avatar experience? Correct. There are two Avatar experiences. One is called the Navi River, and you just sort of float through like a bioluminescent jungle, and they have some uh, Navi animatronics that are like the best animatronics I've ever seen. Um, yeah. But it's kind of boring. And then the other one is called it's like fly. First Flight or something like that. Uh, and you, it simulates riding a banshee. And uh, it's amazing. And our kids were terrified and cried the whole time. And oh, to gosh. the point where Rosie was watching the movie today. And when he's riding the banshee, she said, I can't believe I cried. I could have just closed my eyes. <laughs> But she remembered <laughs> watching the scene. She was like, oh, I know what this is. This is that bullshit you guys made me do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That applies to so much in life. It's like, why did I complain? I could have just closed my eyes. We took our daughters to Disneyland and I was like all high on the on the Haunted Mansion and my daughters expressed some interest. And then my older daughter is a little more – she doesn't really like the scary stuff. My middle daughter does. Um, but oh, I was oh, like, oh, no, cool no, you're going to love hmm? – Please call her the cool one. <laughs> yeah, right. That's your goddaughter. That's why. <laughs> um, so I was like, no, 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 it's going to be so cool. And as soon as like the, as, as those who have been to Disneyland or Disney world, the, the lobby of the haunted mansion, like the lights turn out, there's like a flash of lightning. Yeah. There's like a body hanging. There's like <laughs> the music. It sinks down. It rains blood. My, it, <laughs> my older daughter just flips out, starts crying. We got a tour of the bowels of the haunted mansion <laughs> only because a cast member was pointing us how to exit without having to go back through the crowd. Right. So, oh my gosh. Um, I've been there. I've done that. So, but I've not been to the, I've not been to Disney world since the eighties. So I've not been on any of those rides, but they sound amazing. My point with mentioning all that is sort of like when, when they finally are on the backs of these banshees, there's never think about a lesser director. And it's interesting. You mentioned like all the different directors making action sequences out there. And you say like, you, we both mentioned Michael Bay, but actually I, I give credit to Michael Bay because I feel like action sequences, while there are a ton of cuts and while it is a little manic, that's not his weak point. Like that's actually no. where he kind of yeah. shines. Yeah. Um, it's the, it's the directors of gosh, I can't even think of an example, like the Sherlock Holmes movies where it's like these action sequences that are just like, dumb and dark and have no geography and no sort of point of reference. Those are the types of movies because when they're on the backs of these banshees, like I, I never kind of lose. I never, I always know who I'm with. I always know like where I'm at in relation to everyone else also, which is incredibly hard to do in a completely made up fake. Right. <laughs> like everything right. is fake. Everything. Right. right. 
And it's, you know, and here, you know, here we are in 2020 with all this, this wisdom and 10 years of experience and, you know, which is bullshit, by the way, I'm, I'm making a joke, but, um, how the, the effects hold up and they're all digital. I don't think there's anything that's practical in the, in, in Pandora or in that, in the Navi world and how, I mean, there, there, there's certain things. Yes. Does it look a little cartoonish? Absolutely. And do certain sequences and scenes remind me of cut scenes from Grand Theft Auto or other video games? Of course, because it's very much in that same vein of like, it's got video game aesthetics. It's got that, you know, it's there, there, there's a lot of crossover in that Venn diagram. Um, but um, I do appreciate, I think on the 2010 podcast, I had mentioned how I was annoyed at how bright everything was. Mm. And I know that was done to, because it was 3D, which is kind of darkens everything also. Um, and it was done because James Cameron is also like, no, I want to see this world, all the money that I put in, all the effort and time that I put into this world and creating this and all the special effects. It's so bright, which does expose a little bit of the inconsistencies or sort of like where it's not necessarily real, but also like it also helps with the geography and sort of everything I just mentioned. So kudos. Well, compare it to something like the aforementioned Pacific Rim, where the entire movie is nighttime in the rain. Right. And that's how we kind of get around the CG, right? Um, right. Yeah. The, and just the fact that it was shot for 3D means that we have like this incredible depth of field in every single shot to the point where you almost don't even need to see the movie in 3D. I mean, it's definitely cool in 3D. You don't have to see it that way because it's so beautiful. And so there's so much depth in every shot. Um, even without the 3D, I did have a chance to go back and see it in 3D once after turning around on the movie. Cause it played for such a long time. It played until April uh, in 3d IMAX at the theater by us. And I went to like a 10 PM Friday night show or something. It was like the last weekend that it was going to show that way. And, uh, and it was a pretty cool experience. Like I appreciated it so much more again, because I was there to appreciate it as opposed to like sitting down, like show me what you got James Cameron, the way I was the right. first time. Um, which is, you know, maybe not the way to see a movie. I, no, well, I don't, I it wasn't like in a, in a mad or spiteful way, because obviously I'm a fan of James Cameron. You know, every time he does something incredible. Well, and, th and that's the thing, too, of all the things I've said that were kind of borderline or overtly negative. It's like I will I'm I'm there to watch his next whatever. It doesn't yeah. have to be Avatar, even though that's what he's committed to. And I can't imagine him doing much more beyond that because of the just the scope and the commitment. How can he do other movies um, although he was, he was associated with battle, Alita battle angel. Right. But that was not him. He, he was, was a, a producer. producer yeah. Robert Rodriguez directed that, that movie. I think I talked about in a recent podcast, was pleasant surprise, yeah. a nice, a really fun movie. Um, but no, I'm, I'm totally on board to see whatever he does. And to your point about the first time we saw it in 2009 in what, December 16th or something, I think I have a movie stub somewhere. <laughs> I'll bet you do. <laughs> um, that, yeah, no, it's the inconvenience of like, I got to wear these things. I got to sit here. The, the theater's packed. It, there's an excitement to that for sure, but there's also a burden that comes with it a little bit. And I think once you, to your you know experience about going back the second time where you're like, you had turned on it or you had came around on it in a good way, 
um, that you were excited to put the glasses on. You were excited to, yeah. to notice things you didn't notice before because it is like the first time you see it is an onslaught of, of just visual audio sensory, you know, it's overload basically because all the colors are so bright. And again, I think I critiqued on the last show about how it doesn't make any sense. Again, I'm, I do get hung up on some of those things a little bit more than I would like. Um, notwithstanding the fact that like I'm right all the time, but at the same time, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to sometimes like, it doesn't matter that's purple. It doesn't matter that it's neon green. Who cares? It doesn't matter that the mountains float. They float. Deal with it, you know. Um, <laughs> but it's it's so gorgeous and lived in and fully realized that that's what I've when I watching it again eleven years later, sort of realizing, sort of you know the that's where I'm that's what I'm responding to more than the other things. So you love it. Oh my gosh, do I love it? Okay. No, I do. I I I I don't love it, but I really like it, and I I would. I don't see myself going back to it as often as you or maybe some other people 10 more years <laughs> 10 more years i'm gonna be all about zombie <laughs> pie fights i'm gonna be so on board with avatar <laughs> but no i it's just i mean it could be a dawn of the dead type thing where i'm so hung up you know i mean you you know me you've known me my whole life how my brain works and i get i get caught on certain things where i can't you know it's not a it's not a good part of my personality because it's like it, it's damaging to some extent how when I get hung up on certain things, small things, I, I'm unable to get past it to see something maybe positive, um, even not movie related, where I'm just like so hung up on certain things where it's like, well, I can't excuse that. I can't forgive that. Um, but even like with, you know, Dawn of the Dead, the, the original Dawn of the Dead from 1970, whatever, um, I'm so focused on the orange blood that like going back, watching it again this October, this Halloween season, um, I will still be focused on that, but I'm going to enjoy it more every single time I watch it. So I'm sure the next time I watch Avatar, even if I don't right now, having just seen it last night, maybe I won't put it on. But maybe it's one of those things where I put it on because it's like a warm blanket. Or even if I had seen it, like I mentioned earlier, when I was younger, um, it might uh, connect with me more. There's also that element, again, this very subjective personal of me, but like there's the fantasy part of it, which I've been very open about on the show. Like I'm just that's not my jam. I do like the science aspect more of it. And it, the movie kind of balances that a little bit, but yeah, no, it's great. I love it. I'm in love with it. I <laughs> it was, it, it was for like, for me, it was almost a Dawn of the Dead situation, except it happened in the span of like a weekend. Um, <laughs> Cause we saw it in December. I wasn't crazy about it. And then it came out on Blu-ray in like April, I think maybe earth day. And I bought it because I was like, well, you know, it's the biggest movie ever and it's obviously going to look great on this TV and, uh, and, and watched it and was like, oh, all right. And then maybe a day went by and I was like, I kind of feel like watching that again. And then it was on HBO maybe that night. And I was like, no, I probably think I'm going to watch this. And then I had to say to myself, like, okay, if the fact that I was drawn to watch this movie three times in the span of a weekend means that I like it. Um, yeah. Because right. I've I've lived it, you know, we did a podcast years ago on Waterworld and I talked about how Waterworld was like a movie that I didn't think I liked, but that I felt inclined to watch every year or so. And eventually I just had to come to the realization that the fact that I want to watch it all the time means that I like it. <laughs> like I can't right. be in denial of like, well, I want to keep coming back to it, but not because it's good, not because I like it. There's just something about it. Like, no, it's because I like it. Uh, and that's you with Dawn of the Dead, and that was me with Avatar. It just happened in a very uh, quick time frame. I still can't believe there's a. I think it might have been. A, I think it was a column where it was point counterpoint, and I was like defending the remake of Dawn of the Dead, which definitely has, it's good. It's 
it's good. It's yeah. definitely a good movie with lots of great things to like about it. But I was like, just all in. And you know, I get that part of it is like, especially as with those types of columns, it's like, that's the point. You have to be all in with this thing and you have to go against that thing. It's like a debate class or club or whatever. Exactly. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I feel the same way about um, I, now, like in my, my fourth decade on earth, I am like all in on Star Trek. I know we talk about Star Trek a lot when I'm on the show, but I think if you would ask me five, maybe not five, 10, 15 years ago, I would have just been like, no, I used to watch Star Trek Next Generation as a kid. And that's about it. That's where I draw the line. And now it's just sort of like, I'm willing to watch any Star Trek. I, uh, you realize something about yourself. It's sort of like, I can like what I want to like, and no one's judging me. No one cares. Even the person I'm married to, which maybe 10 years ago, I would have been more embarrassed to Hmm. put on Voyager, for example. And there's definitely embarrassing things about Voyager. Why but would like... you be embarrassed, Douglas? <laughs> right. <sighs> um, but now it's sort of like, no, this is it is it is what it is. Like I didn't make it. If you're if you don't like part of it, that's on you. You know, like I like it. I enjoy these types of things. So well, and it, it, again, it's a point of pride that our first episode was Avatar, and that it was me kind of saying, like, I like this movie. Uh, Because that has sort of been the mission statement for this podcast for the last 10 years, which is, like, if you like something, just say you like it, and be happy to like it, and you're probably going to find other people that like it as well. Right, right. That's the thing, too. It's like, this place is nothing if not uh, an incubation, whatever, for these ideas. Like, if you put out there, if someone's on the show and puts out, like, I really, check out this movie, People are going to watch it. Or if you say that you really like something, you're going to find like-minded people in the comments or maybe another community that you could like share these ideas with because that's, I don't know, that's what's great about movies. That is what's great about movies. That's what's great about Avatar, a movie we both love equally. (laughs) (laughs) You're probably right. I think I can say (laughs) we both love this movie equally. Uh, I remember being really <laughs> upset like uh, in 2009 because District 9 had come out and I was like, it's the same as Avatar, but done so much better, you know? And yeah. I'm not denigrating District 9. It's still a really good movie. But guess how many times I've gone back to rewatch District 9? Zero. Guess how many times I've gone back to watch Avatar? Too many. Well, and that might be a testament to, again, James Cameron, what he knows, what we're too dumb to realize is like all the decisions, all the things that he's decided and the reasons why he's doing it the way he's doing it. Like, you know, back in 2010, I'm like, oh, it's too colorful. It's too this, it's too that. It's like, that's why people watch movies, you right. dumb dumb. <laughs> you know, right. like, District 9, again, is great. I don't think I've, I think I've seen it twice. Um, it's a I, super I good would, movie. Yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to watching it again, but like, there's nothing about it that I think I can't like think of a particular or specific scene or something about it that makes me think, oh well, yeah, that is that world. Well, prawns, prawns. Any uh, any other thoughts on Avatar or on ten years of F this movie? I mean, that second part of that question is a loaded one, isn't it? it? I already did (laughs) my speech about 10 years on our Zoom call. So if you guys want to listen to that, you should go find it on fthismovie.com. No, it's it's been great to be part of this show and part of this website. And um, you're great at what you do. And everyone who participates is great. And the people who listen are great, too. So it's a nice, great place to be great. 
<laughs> I never could have predicted that we would last 10 years or that anybody would be listening. As you pointed out, when you talked about our first episode, we were very much just doing it in a vacuum. Our first yeah. several episodes. I mean, we really, I remember again, I, I've talked about this before. There was a day where I noticed that we had, um, seven subscribers and I was like, Whoa, what? Um, I couldn't believe that seven people were listening. Uh, and it's considerably more than that now. And we're very appreciative for all of them. So I never could have predicted that this would have lasted 10 years. I couldn't possibly predict how much longer it will last. I have no idea if we'll make it another 10 years. If we do, you can count on the fact that, uh, <laughs> May 14th, 2030, the podcast will be on Avatar. <laughs> Maybe all the sequels. No, it's got to be on the first one. Right? It's, it's going be to be on, the, be on the first Avatar. Every 10 years, we'll podcast on Avatar. Um, <laughs> Imagine us in like nursing homes. It's like, hey. <laughs> it's too colorful. It right. hurts my eyes. I don't like that there's no moon people in Avatar because <laughs> the moon people will have taken over at that point. And they're watching and listening to what we're saying. So we've got to talk about how we're mad that there's no moon people in Avatar. <laughs> These Navi are great, but they're no moon people. Right. That's what they go by, moon people. I'm not being yeah, derogatory. No, I know. I know. Listen, I know. Um, I'm very lucky that I've gotten to do this show with you so many times oh, and with uh, my closest friends and with my wife, uh, who has been nothing but, you know, supportive and... Uh, is she right behind me right now? She's right behind you. Uh, she's <laughs> next to several moon people who are <laughs> listening. <laughs> so I'm very fortunate that we have such an audience of moon people. Um, well, just one more, all thing the, all the just... people I care about most in my life are, are associated with this show and with this site. And so I'm very, very, very lucky. Yeah. It's so hard. You know, we, a lot of us out there have jobs where it's a routine. There's the mon mundane mundanity of a job mm. of like doing something again and again. I know, for example, part of my job, I work in communications. So it's a lot of the same thing. Like now it's time we do this. Now it's time we do that. And um, now it's time to communicate. Right. Exactly. It's like enough. Haven't we done that? Didn't we do that yesterday? <laughs> How people think it's sort of like, oh, it's so easy. We just have to like, we're going to set up a Facebook page and we're going to um, make a website and we're just going to like put on some, we have some great ideas. We're going to put that out there and see what happens. And it's always like, yeah, that's all fine and well. And this speaks to so many uh, movie podcasts and websites and, you know, critical sites and, and, and everything. It's not just movies. It's, it's so much that's out there where people have great ideas and they want to put something out there. And that's awesome because the more creativity in the world, the better, but it's the, the, the grind as, as, um, oh, yeah. you, as you and McGregor in Black in, Hawk uh, Down <laughs> in Black Hawk Down would say, it's all about the grind. Mm. It is putting something out there. I mean, again, early in the days of F this movie for the first, maybe six months, it was a weekly podcast. There wasn't too many written columns. I think you had reviewed a couple things. I had done like a, a trailer roundup once a week for a little bit. And then of course it kind of morphs into more and there's more contributors and you've got a daily column followed by a weekly podcast and the effort that goes behind that, again, that's why the other sites, not to say like, again, a lot of sites thrive and they're great, but some sites fizzle because I don't think people realize they bite off more than they could chew or they don't realize that this is a beast that needs to be fed every single day. If you're not promoting it, it'll die. If you're not 
um, actively thinking about the next step, it'll die. And I think that's a testament to you and sort of your energy because when, you know, for example, when I moved to California and took a step back or when I got a new job and had to take a step back, it's like the, the site still went on and that's all because of you and what you've done to maintain it, to build a roster of, of excellent contributors and people with interesting things to say, as Rob DiCristino pointed out on the Zoom call. It's not just talking about movies. It's finding a thing to say about it that's not necessarily – it doesn't have to be brand new or totally unique, but having a, a different perspective or different angle, that's what you've somehow fostered and, and, and created here. So it's, it's, it's a testament to you. So good job, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, moon person. <laughs> I shouldn't have called you an asshole. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's how else would you have gotten through saying something <laughs> actually sincere? <laughs> so. right. What are you suggesting? <laughs> um, this is coming out on May 14th, which again is our 10 year anniversary. If you are listening to this, the day that it drops uh, tonight, we are doing a live tweet uh, at 8 p.m. Central, we are live tweeting the Funhouse. Uh, and then at 10 p.m. Central, we are live tweeting Turbo Kid, which is streaming on Amazon Prime. For those, you know, the Funhouse, you'd have to rent. I think it's $2.49 to rent right now. It's on sale, um, which I didn't know Amazon did, but apparently they do. Turbo Kid is on Amazon Prime, so it is uh, streaming for free. If you're an Amazon Prime subscriber, please join us using the hashtag FThisMovie10. It's just a way, you know, people have said that they really enjoy our live tweets and every F This Movie Fest, they say, can we do this more than once a year? And I always say no, but because of the quarantine, yeah. uh, we've done a few extras. We did the thing for my birthday. We're doing this to celebrate our 10th anniversary. And it's just a way to bring the community together during a really hard time. So hopefully you guys can join us. May the 14th be with you. Is that how that goes? <laughs> that expression? <laughs> uh, on behalf of Doug... <laughs> On behalf of uh, of myself and everybody at F This Movie, thank you guys Hi, for listening to us. Whether it's you, whether you've listened to us once or for two years or for all ten years, uh, we greatly, greatly appreciate having an audience of movie fans to talk about movies with. It's been really, really fun, and here's to ten more years. Thank you, Doug. I see you. Thanks for listening to FS Movie.